Hi, everyone, and welcome to Hear, Hear, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my second fiction story, Abundance, Not Scarcity. If you'd like to get a paperback copy of the book, or if you'd like a free copy of this story as an ebook optimized for iPhone or iPad, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. There's links there to all my writing, including the link to the paperback order form, as well as a link to the Google Drive folder with free ebook versions of both of my fiction stories. My previous story, What There Is To Be Done, is also available in this podcast feed. Just hop back to season one. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about these stories. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan or email me at dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this chapter and stick around at the end for a bonus reflection. May we all identify and come to understand God's ongoing invitations for us. Cheers. Spring was turning to summer. The springtime weather consistency was giving way to more consistent scorching sun and more punishing humidity. Naturally, Midwesterners were undertaking their perennial flock to the outdoors wearing too little sunscreen, drinking too much beer, and in many cases, clobbering their snow-pale skin. Noah couldn't fight the feeling anymore. He had to get out too. The fluorescent lights and minimal windows of the office underscored his lack of fresh air. He wanted to hike. First, he talked to a few coworkers about it. None of them bit at the invitation. Then he tried a couple guys he had talked to at Tizay Prayer. One had a family conflict, and the other was going to be out of town that weekend. Finally, he just tried to talk Joan into it. Noah, you know I love doing things with you, but I'm not climbing a mountain this weekend, she admitted. Well, they're really just glorified Midwestern bunny hills, Noah thought, but suit yourself. Noah briefly considered just giving in to claustrophobia for a few more weeks until he could find a willing buddy or else settle for dragging Joan on a more pedestrian outdoors experience. But he was itching to get out and get up, so he resolved to head out on his own. He had a favorite trail at a nearby state park. The elevation climb wasn't too spectacular in Ohio but even just the chance to get a few hundred feet up and look out over the plain was enticing for Noah. The path through the woods and gullies, up some rocky curves, into a nice overlook, it was enough to scratch the itch. Noah did not consider himself an outdoorsman. Spiritually, he was no St. Francis either. Noah was somewhere between a rugged mountaineer and nature-averse city slicker. He couldn't tell you what kind of tree that is or talk about the animals that are and are not native to the area but he would always find a quiet awe at the open blue skies, the puppy white clouds, the gradients of browns and greens across the forest, and the rocks and dirts and gravels of the road pounded down by so many trail-trotting feet. As someone who could all too easily settle into homebody grooves, getting out on a hike was the simple way to shake it up. Noah was even feeling a little bit extra excited and decided to shove off early. His Fitbit silent alarm buzzed through his arm bones at 5 a.m., The sun would rise just before 6 a.m., and he wanted to be marching up the trail in the morning twilight. He saved the shower for after he got home and grabbed the backpack he packed the night before. 
He made the half hour drive and reached the park gate before the sun peeked over the horizon. He parked in the lot near his trailhead as the morning rays just started to break into the decreasingly dark sky. Noah grabbed his lightly packed backpack and shut the trunk as he locked and armed the car. He took a happy breath of the warm summer air, free of any urban suburban spoil. Noah stood at the edge of the lot, peering through a wide berth in the dilapidated boundary fence, the rotting wooden crossbeams only occasionally still spanning the distance between posts. The trail started as dark brown dirt, dry and dusty and worn, sort of parabolic in shape where footsteps had worn down the middle third of the trail. In his amateur status, Noah did not possess any of the trademark gear of a serious hiker. He used an old school backpack that was also sort of old school, a worn navy Jansport with working zippers but pancake flat shoulder strap padding. Inside were just some granola bars from home, some sunblock that may have been expired, an aerosol can of bug spray, a folded up poncho that he can't remember having ever taken out of its impossibly compact sleeve, and an old baseball hat. Noah wore his everyday shoes, comfortable running shoes he used for everything. Lacking any sorts of outdoorsy vests or wearable water packs or cargo type clothes, he was in a plain solid t-shirt and the gym shorts he still had from high school. For hydration, he latched his favorite water bottle, an oft-used and beat-up 24-ounce metal bottle, to his backpack with a free promotional carabiner clip he got at some job fair or something. Even Noah's sunglasses were unimpressive, a freebie pair from the surplus bin at his insurance company. Solid black frames, highlighter blue arms, and a cheap but reasonably tinted pair of lenses. Noah walked up to the opening in the fence, took a quick peek at the board with the trail map for a refresher, and headed on his familiar path. The trail wasn't a walk in the park, but it was doable for anyone with a decent attitude and a willingness to break a sweat. The trail climbed just a modest amount to start. It then turned a corner to follow a ridge, offering a nice little view down into the wooded lowlands. At the end of the ridge was a hill that required a greater climb. The trail wrapped sort of circularly around the hill, gradually gaining altitude through some sets of tighter switchbacks and a more loping, gradual upward spiral. The payoff came about 45 minutes to an hour in, when the trail spat you out at the fairly sizable flat clearing at the so-called summit of the little hill. The top had no trees, just a patch of light brown dirt with a few slab stones where people tended to sit and take it all in. Noah had a favorite spot, an anvil-shaped rock with a good-sized flat top, big enough for about one and a half people to sit. The tone of the rock was in the same yellow-brown palette as the dirt and the pale brown grasses that endured in little spots. The base of that stone was firmly set in the topography of the hill, such that its base was anchored into the ground, but its seat protruded slightly over the crest. When Noah sat down, he could rest his rear end on the flat top, and dangle his legs over the edge, swinging freely several feet above the downslope of the hill beyond the throne. On this particular Saturday morning, Noah was feeling chipper. His body was in ready shape to make the climb smoothly, and his mind agitating to reach the top. Hiking was never a timed sport for Noah, but he usually expected to reach the top in well under an hour. Without even a podcast or playlist in his ears, Noah completed the climb in a flat 40. He reached the last few steps, where the trees gave way to the clearing. Noah's eyebrows raised underneath his economy sunglasses. The sun had risen and was pouring unfiltered yellow light onto the hilltop from just above the tree line. The mouth of the trail faced west, so the sun shone from the low sky behind Noah and illuminated the view fabulously. This was a good, good call, Noah declared to himself. This spot certainly wasn't the highest point in the country, or even the region or the state. 
but it was the highest spot in this state park, offering a modest but enjoyable view of the forested hills and undulating lowlands beneath the Midwestern tree lines. Noah dug his thumbs under his backpack straps and grasped the fabric as he ambled about the clearing. Staying a good few feet from the edges, he gradually walked a lap, scanning the more distant views while the sun crept slightly higher off the horizon behind him. Noah could see his favorite slab seat just a short way ahead. To finish his lap and grab his seat, he had to walk past the only other folks up there at this early hour. A couple, close to his age. He didn't tiptoe, but he did try to go slowly and quietly as he passed them. They were seated on the dirt with the same sort of deep and distant stare Noah definitely recognized. The guy and the girl were normal and unassuming, except for Noah noticed that she had kicked off her shoes while she sat there. Noah nodded to them, unsure if they even noticed him passing in their peripheral vision while he walked behind them. As he continued to his spot, he heard the woman say, We have the contract. It's signed. Director of Student Life. Glad we snuck in a little getaway before the work begins, now that it's official. Good for her, Noah thought, as he continued out of earshot. I wonder what all went into that. Maybe it took a while to get the contract? Discernment is so interesting. With that, Noah reached the anvil slab. He wiggled his arms free from the tightened backpack straps and unlatched his old water bottle. He then clumsily bent down to a squat and tossed his feet forward, inching himself bit by bit toward the rock's edge to let his feet hang over the hillside. Noah reached over to unzip his backpack and pull out a granola bar. He tore the wrapper open at a jag in the sleeve and peeled it off in one piece to stash in the backpack as garbage. Noah chewed on the first bite while using his free hand to lean back and to the side. In the early morning, in the undisturbed quiet, in the unspoiled fresh air, it didn't take much for Noah to feel calm and peaceful. He stared out to the furthest horizons that his sun-shaded eyes could settle upon. This morning there were no chanting monks, no guided meditation, no circular refrains of music. There was no mass, no exposed Eucharist, no parish congregation in prayer. Before him was just the book of nature, the creation to which Noah was called to steward, and that he was currently resting in gentle awe of. The thought crossed Noah's mind to mine a psalm or a mantra from his spiritual memory, but truth be told, he had decided to get out for a hike with no spiritual agenda. After a few months of these intensive prayer experiences, Noah was getting better at not pressing for grace. He was more natural, more organic, about prayer and about life. As he scanned the forest and the trees, his mind bounced over to the idea of the forest and the trees. His eyes started applying the old axiom in real time. Looking out with a deep focus, his mind would settle on the forest, the whole of the picture, with its clusters of growth, its spokes of branches reaching in every direction, its comprehensive cover of arches over the forest floors. But looking more closely at a tree or two, and his mind was finding the details, the particular angles or reach of each branch, the thinner and thicker parts of the trunk, the shapes and colors of the leaves. Noah thought about the encounters with God at the beginning, the images of what could come next in his faith life or his career. I have sure seen a few trees, quite up close, in rather fine detail. What a blessing that was, and is. That's a level of clarity that had to be grace, Noah thought. I don't know that I've been missing the forest for the trees, but do I need to look more particularly at the forest? Noah was comfortable practicing self-scrutiny. He'd reached a point where he could ask himself hard and or open-ended questions without deteriorating into self-doubt. It wasn't bravado or arrogance. It was more a willingness to look for responses, with a sense of trial and error, 
that he knew he may have to revise or discard early attempts. With appreciation for the particular vividness of things he had seen, Noah wondered now about the larger shape of things. It's been amazing to have these experiences, but where does it lead? Can I even figure out my state of life? I'm a single man. I've certainly had vague considerations of religious life at one point or another. In my better moments with Joan, I've had slightly less vague considerations to married life now and then, but like, man, what do I want? What am I looking for? Noah had to put a pin in that for a second. The last few months had laid him bare with respect to his trajectory. He had never obsessed over having a five-year plan or benchmarking where we needed to be and when and why, but he was realizing that resisting that strategy too strongly left him bereft of basic structure for his adult life. He was never significantly depressed or anxious, but he also realized for the first time that he had never given himself a good chance to hit his stride. As revelatory as these encounters with potential futures might be, he also needed to discern his state of life. It's one thing not to press, whether with career or romance, but it's another thing to be so passive that you might not be aware enough to live responsibly when something good is before you. This is the crossroads where Noah found himself this morning, wanting to take a good look at the forest after having immersed up close with the trees. As Noah's eyeline settled in on the distant treetops, he slowly scanned the panorama as he posed some questions to himself. Well, everyone starts as single. I'm dating someone, but I'm unmarried. How do I feel about being single, so to speak? Noah reflected on that reality for a moment, of being closer to 30 years old than 20, and being unmarried and childless, a much more common thing for his peers than for earlier generations. First, he imagined not being in a relationship, but being totally single. Nothing much came to mind. He was happy enough with Joan, and they'd been together long enough that he couldn't really imagine not dating. The closest thing that came to mind was his volunteer year, when he was immersed in service. Noah dwelled there in the memories for a moment, but when no fresher, forward-looking images came to mind, he moved on. He knew of single life conceptually, and had been living out a version of it. But being single and uncommitted to anyone or anything didn't take root in any imagination Noah possessed. Okay, so what of marriage? What of family life? What of parenthood? Noah asked next. I feel like most people can more or less imagine themselves as parents and spouses, almost by default. I feel like it's just sort of a mental replication of seeing your own parents and having spent a childhood experiencing their parenthood, and you're sort of mentally ripping it off. Noah then paused, as if to check himself. Well, first of all, thank God I know and have always known my parents. Thank God they've always been involved and supportive. Thank God they love each other and love me and have always been together without major issue. Thank God they've had stable employment and the ability to provide for me consistently. Noah had followed his heart on this little detour, an important direction to reach a fruitful reflection destination. This is my privilege, Noah acknowledged. He breathed in some fresh appreciation. Well, seeing that I can sort of paste my own face over that of my parents, it's not too hard to cobble together a basic image of being a parent or being a spouse. What would it be like? What would it look like? God, show me the way, he gently requested, as he detached from his seven-mile stare toward the treetops by shutting his eyes. Noah imagined coming through the entry door of a modest house, clicking the garage door button to close the door behind him. He left his keys, coat, shoes, and work bag in the entryway that doubled as a moderate-sized laundry room and continued inside to the kitchen counter. 
There was a pile of mail, some credit card offers, charity solicitations, a medical bill, and a pack of coupons from an advertiser that he thumbed through briefly and let sit. At the corner where the kitchen turned toward the staircase up, he saw two pairs of children's shoes scattered beneath a couple of strewn jackets. The backpacks were absent, maybe brought upstairs by the little shoulders that wanted to get their homework done before dinner. Noah peered around the corner to confirm that there were no little people there and then bounced back to the kitchen. As he reached to open the medical bill, he saw a sticky note on the upper cabinetry. Noah, drop kids off after school, but had to go back to work. Hopefully see you by seven. Cook and eat if you want, or I'll get it going when I'm home, but don't wait if you're hungry. Love you. Noah nodded and looked at the clock. It read 5.13 p.m. He looked around at the small round table set for four in the cozy Eden kitchen. At the second-hand entertainment center with a respectable TV perched atop it and at the comfortable, generation-old couches waiting in the family room. He decided to flop down on the couch to relax. As his butt was about to bounce onto the cushion, his momentum stopped hard. Noah bounced in place on the anvil slab, almost like waking from a dream where he'd been falling. A quick look over his shoulder reacclimated him to the outlook and the forest trail. Noah collected his ponderings of family life. There's so much to consider with kids. How many do you try to have? How do you try to space them apart? Do you get concerned with having boys or girls or a mix? Do you have to move? Do they share bedrooms? How do you handle childcare? How do you save for school and college? Noah thought a bit about working versus staying at home with kids. He thought about living in a big house with separate bedrooms for everyone versus modest living with bunk bedrooms and cozy closets. He wondered about comparing the local public school with whatever Catholic and private alternatives were around. His internal forum of question and answer had hazed into nebulous thinking, so he shot out a sharp exhale. Still looking at the horizon and the fairly uniform tree line, Noah noticed a spot where the canopy was lush, but the trunks of the trees were more sporadic. There was a tall, robust tree whose trunk had plenty of room on either side of it, taking up a lot of space on the forest floor, as if it lived on a full acre double lot beside smaller neighbors. The thick trunk thoroughly fractal branches, and sprawling oak leaves made the tree do the visual and practical work of several trees all on its own. This mighty tree took root in Noah's imagination. That tree has got to have some seriously deep and sprawling roots. Those roots are my faith. That trunk, so strong, so thick, so ringed with its growth. That trunk is my volunteer year. Those branches reach in every direction, fill every space, bring leaves and shade across the span. The branches are all the jobs and errands and assignments that I took that year. The leaves are such deep green, glowing and growing with life. The leaves are my takeaways, my growth from that experience. But these leaves will lose color. They'll shrivel and fall. They'll decompose and leave the branches dried and emptied. I guess the metaphor breaks down here. Noah paused. Or maybe this is where it challenges me. How do I keep my takeaways evergreen? Or how can I bring fresh sunlight and water to help them grow again? How can I safeguard my formation and keep it as a thriving part of me? Nourish it so that it stays green, regrows cyclically, grows bigger over time? Even if some needles fall, the whole of a conifer is always green. Noah looked the vast tree up and down one last slow time. He nodded as he began to scan the trees and see the forest again. The monastic retreat, mass and adoration, tizay prayer, a food pantry outing, dinner with friends, and a forest hike. 
Noah needed a heavy breath in and lightning breath back out. How can I connect the dots? How has my faith and the grace of God brought me from childhood faith to the clarity of seeing all of this? Noah sat in the tensions of his questions for a minute. I've never been able to understand it more clearly than just to say that following the guidance of a kind, faithful, earnest person usually brings me somewhere good and fruitful. He thought about the palpable voice of God questioning him. What are you doing here? And what do you want me to do for you? He thought of the way realities came to him while following along with mass, while following directions during service, while walking home to process a great night with friends. He thought about the way a conversation with Father C served like a Humpty Dumpty moment that put him back together. I'm at my best when I put myself close to people who point the way, who point to greater love and greater prayer. Noah stopped again. This was a hard one. Joan pointed me to Father C, he thought. That was exactly what I needed. But no one has pointed me to her. Noah stung himself a bit with that one. He felt a bit sullen and a bit indicted. Noah felt like he hadn't appreciated Joan, like he'd taken her for granted. He generally knew it, but in this moment, he named it. Noah began to wonder if he had been stringing her along. The images that flashed to mind before, they were nebulous, generic. Why didn't I imagine Joan? Why did I see kids that look like her or me or both of us? Am I just being open-ended and cautious? Or is that path with her absent from my heart? Noah's thoughts became a bit self-prosecutorial. He was trying to give himself benefit of the doubt, but this lack felt different than, say, the emptiness in the park. That outcome had proceeded from tough luck compounding on itself from Noah's existing life. On the other hand, this imagined, generic, superficial glimpse didn't feel like an underexplored or under-contemplated thing, but rather a spot where his imagination had little to draw upon from his heart. He then remembered the couple he'd seen on his way to this spot. They were gone now, but their relief and discernment and shared joy was apparent. Sitting in these newly bubbling thoughts, that mild encounter now felt like a sign to Noah. Talk to her, let her in, and be honest. Noah nodded to the empty air and let his thoughts dissipate. He let his mind and heart get still. In that fallowness, he invited the sun and wind and trees and skies to backfill the space. He invited nature to be his palate cleanser for a moment as he temporarily retired from these contemplations. That was the fresh breath he drew in and cycled through slow respirations. I need to talk to her, he thought as a light silent wind crossed his face. I need to share this with her. This part in Noah's story is a little trickier than some of the other stuff that comes earlier in the story. A lot of those other moments come from these moments of prayer and following humble, benevolent advice that are full of joy and promise and hope. And even the tricky night he has in the park where he's feeling cast down and separated and marginalized and has to put himself in the shoes of people whose society forces to the margins. That comes with a twist of hope when he comes to understand it more deeply over time. This chapter is different. Uh, this is a point where Noah has to realize some things. He's been cruising along on this highway of discernment, 
and has been following great directions and seeing great sights. But it's kind of time for him to pull off to the rest stop and take a look at where he's come from and where he's been and where he might be going. So part of this chapter is to help be a vehicle for some different lessons of discernment that are important, but maybe not quite so sunny and bright and exciting. First of all, the idea that you can't discern negatively. It's particularly true of young men and romantic challenges. Sometimes young men, college-aged or so, maybe young adults who have a hard time meeting um, romantic interests and trying to develop in a romantic, exclusive dating relationship. When they struggle there, one of their thoughts sort of in a knee-jerk way can be, well, maybe I'm meant to be a priest or a religious because I'm just not good at this dating thing. And while there might be something there, God does not point us toward a vocation in life through the things that we are not. There is value to trying something and discovering that maybe you're not gifted or talented for it, or maybe you don't have the passion to work at it and find fulfillment and service of others. But we shouldn't use those negatives to then reverse engineer a positive, such as we shouldn't use struggles in romantic relationships to then reverse engineer a positive calling to a life of service and pastoral leadership and sacramental celebration. That should be discerned in a positive way from gifts and passions you have that are at the core of those elements of priesthood or religious life. So it's important that you realize you can't discern negatively. Another thing that can be helpful is a lesson that it was really hard for me to learn, but I'm glad I learned it uh, in young adult life. And that's that not everyone is going to be your friend. And even the people that are your friends might not be your friends forever. In one way I heard it put on a retreat that was a little pithy and maybe oversimplified is that people come into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. Sometimes you meet someone and it's just a chance encounter, a good conversation, a chance to hear a person give a lecture one time. Maybe something they do or say makes an impact on you, but you don't ever really become friends with them or get to see them regularly. It was just a moment of influence and impact. Other people, you might get to be coworkers with them for a few years, but then your friend decides to take a new job or to take a transfer or to move away or move back to where their family or their spouse or partner's family is, and you no longer can be together on a regular basis. But that doesn't dilute the impact that that person had on you and the things they taught you while you were close by and seeing each other and learning from each other regularly. And then there are those people our romantic partners, our immediate family, our closest best friends who are around forever, and we can depend upon that. But one of the graces of adulthood is when you realize that not everyone has to be your friend and not everyone has to be your friend forever. And it's not that you need to actively push people away on some kind of weird time frame. But if someone does move away, or if someone doesn't keep contact, or if someone isn't responding to your invitations to hang out, it's okay to let them go. It's okay to acknowledge that maybe there isn't a place for that person in your life, or maybe there's not a place for you in their life. And it's not that you shouldn't try to maintain relationships that you think are important, or that you shouldn't try to tell people that you'd love to see them more often, or get to talk to them more frequently. But sometimes when life gets in the way, and creates those um, transition points, it can be okay. The last thing for discernment that Noah finds here is that it's great to have companions who are walking with you and talking with you while you're trying to figure things out. 
it's great to have resources like the church and the Eucharist and adoration and reconciliation and spiritual direction that can help you pray with the difficult questions you're facing or the tough decisions you're trying to discern. It can even be helpful to uh, immerse yourself in that and build a structure and routine in which you're engaging with those companions and resources regularly. But anyone in discernment and anyone who's trying to take care of themselves and maintain themselves in a sustainable way is also going to need personal time, time and space where they're just lying fallow. That might mean going for a walk or taking a nap or having a guilty pleasure TV show or movie that helps you kind of quiet your mind and unplug and step away. It might also mean taking a sabbatical if you're discerning religious life or priesthood or you're trying to figure out a graduate degree program or a career switch. You might need to just take a day or a week or a month and stop thinking about it for a little bit. And that fallow time or that sabbatical time can be rejuvenative and it can help bring new perspective and uh, refresh your heart and mind as you try to pour over difficult questions and challenging decisions. So this chapter has kind of a different feel to it on purpose because I hope that as people read it and maybe are trying to think about what Noah's path can show them about discernment, that they realize that there's value not just in prayer and resources and accompaniment, but also value in stepping away and making space for yourself on your own, for yourself in one-on-one -on -one personal prayer time with God, separated from other people and their conversations and influence for a moment, and to find some grace there in that kind of separate, different place. And then to return to your communities and to return to your companions and return to the routines and structures that have brought grace and wisdom and clarity as you discern difficult things. And so that's the place that Noah goes to when he goes up his tiny mountain, his little hill, uh, and has this kind of distinct and different flavor experience of God and of grace. That's all for this episode. Remember, all the links for this book and my other writing is at my link tree, linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Thanks for listening, and I hope your gifts and passions are meeting the needs of the people and world around you. Instrumentals for this podcast were improvised and performed by Jason Pham.